Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Hannah Nielsen to the Philacrosophy podcast. Hannah is the head lacrosse coach at the University of Michigan. One of the great all-time women's lacrosse players, played at Northwestern, won four national championships, was a two-time Tawaraton Award winner, uh, grew up in Australia, and um, coached at Colorado, then back at Northwestern, and then became the head coach a couple of years ago. Hannah, welcome to the show. So fired up to talk lacrosse with you. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Awesome. So, okay, we were just talking a second ago about, you know, you've been listening to some of the podcasts, and in particular, the free play, and you said it reminded you of growing up at home. Tell me about your experience uh, in Australia growing up in Adelaide, playing lacrosse, who you looked up to, how you got so good, and what the model was. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of what I learned, I think, and, and made me so successful was my upbringing, um, you know, not only on the field, but I think just the laid back attitude I have. Um, you know, growing up at home, you only play lacrosse if you're born into a lacrosse family or uh, you happen to meet somebody who's played lacrosse. That's how I stumbled into it. I, I played tennis uh, with, a, with a girl who played lacrosse and uh, I got into it that way. And, and you know, once you, once you play back home, uh, people just have a love for it. And once, you know, we grew up and I would spend, you know, my days, you know, first Tuesday nights, Thursday nights were, were uh, training nights and then Saturdays were game days. And, you know, as a young kid, I was playing, you know, under 13s, under 15s, under 17s, and then in the seniors, you know, as a 13 year old. And so, you know, I grew up just with a stick in my hand and, uh, you know, after our senior game or after our under 17 game, we'd go and watch the men's team, you know, the men's senior team, and we'd go sit around at the lacrosse club with a stick in our hand. And at the quarter time and half time, we'd run out onto the field and, you know, play halftime heroes, just chucking the ball around and shooting on the nets, uh, you know, just mocking up fake 1v1s with some of the other, you know, young, young guys. Um, so it was a constant just having the stick in your hand, uh, not necessarily being coached 24-7 and doing yeah. lessons, uh, kind of like the mold is here these days, uh, but just kind of figuring it out for yourself. Uh, obviously, there were set and organized uh, training sessions, but even a lot of those were just here, take an idea and run with it and just go play. And so, uh, you know, as I was, as I said, as I was telling you earlier, you know, we, I was listening to some of that free play stuff and I texted my, my counterpart uh, assistant coach, who's also an Aussie. I was like, you should listen to this. It, it, it reminds me of home. Uh, you know, I can vividly remember in high school, you know, calling up one of my guy friends and, and just playing lacrosse in the backyard, putting on men's pads and just kind of going at each other. And just, you know, I used to watch the guys play and try and emulate them uh, just with the stick handling ability and their shooting technique. And, you know, as I said, I grew up around the lacrosse club watching, whether it's watching three games a day or playing three games a day and emulating the senior players that I was playing against, you know, as a 13 year old, you're getting beat up, but at the same time, you're like, Whoa, that was awesome. Um, you know, as you get yourself up off the ground and, uh, you know, just, just watching and emulating. And then, as I said, just picking up a stick, any, any chance you got the, um, you know, any chance you had, uh, I think really just, um, helped me to, to just learn the nuances of the game. When you were, when you were 13 and you were playing, 13s and 15s and 17s and 19s and mm -hmm. women's and all that but you kept playing your 13s too right so I mean, yeah you yep. played all the levels that's kind of like the underloading overloading concept isn't yeah it? exactly and I, I think absolutely at the time the under 13 seemed really easy to me um and I thought about stopping but at the same time twofold it was you know help out your team they need you uh so absolutely you know my dad would never let me not play the, the age group that I was um you know actually supposed to be in but yeah absolutely yeah it teaches you even more 
you know, all right, I'm just going to try this because I know I can do it against this level player. And then in the, in the under 17s, maybe I wasn't so confident to try it. Uh, but as you get better and better, um, absolutely. I was listening to that and it, it's directly a correlation. Who are the, who are your, who are the, your mentor mentors um, in Australia and the people you looked up to and like who taught you the kind of world-class skill that, you know, you, you, you got, I mean, I know you got better in college, but you came in with a certain amount of skill. Also. Yeah. Um, it's most people would know in women's lacrosse, the name Jen Adams. And I actually got taught by her sister. Uh, Trish Adams, who's, um, she's coached uh, a lot of Australian teams over the years and vividly remember her teaching me how to catch and throw, um, you know, vividly remember when I was an under 13, you know, one practice, it wasn't on field, it was in the classroom, okay, or not in the classroom, in the club room, I should say, draw an eight meter and draw the hash marks. And I had no idea. That was my first couple of years of playing lacrosse. I was actually like a homework assignment. She's like, come back next week with the eight meter drawn out. I'm like, uh-oh you know, and I got it completely wrong, but she taught us a lot about game strategy and what to do when you're goal up, goal down, things like that. But yeah, at, at the same time, the skills I learned were, were taught by her, a guy named Tim Dixon at home. He was a men's, he's been on the men's Australian team, coached men's lacrosse um, and came over to the women's side. So I learned a lot of things to do with, you know, picking and flipping and, um, gameplay and shooting and finishing ability from him, uh, him and a guy named Paul Freeman. And, and as I said, uh, from there, it was watching a lot of lacrosse for me, uh, watching the men play and their stick handling ability. And honestly, watching uh, players like Jen Adams, whenever I could find, uh, you know, I remember watching a Maryland highlight video when I was a kid. And that was when I decided I want to do that. And I'll never forget, there was a, sh a shot in that video, Jen Adams, you know, caught the ball in the middle of the eight, kind of backhanded it into the cage. And I would go out, we had a tree in my front yard and I'd pretend that was the defender and I'd be practicing that move over and over and over again. Uh, so for me, it was a lot of emulation and watching the best players and try and copy them. Very cool. And what was the lacrosse season? When was the season in Australia? It sort of finished up in August, started up? Uh, yeah, it typically runs sort of early April to early September, late August, early September, yeah. And then what did you do? What were you doing between, you know, October and, and through March? I played a lot of sports and that's, I'm a big advocate for, you know, multi-sport athletes. I played tennis. I played Aussie, Aussie rules football with the boys. I played cricket. I played soccer. Um, yeah, I swam. I, I did, you know, surf lifesaving, all these different sports, which I think, you know, A, kept me active yeah. uh, and competitive. Um, but there's so much, you know, I played volleyball, um, so, you know, all summer long, I'd be on the beach or, or on a different, uh, different surface playing a different game, which just kind of kept me sharp and alert. And I think there is, you know, I, was, I was just out on the field before this podcast doing an individual with someone and I referenced something about water polo and I referenced something about volleyball, you know, two, two sports you might not have any, any correlation to lacrosse, but I think just knowing different games and, and being able to reference different things and, and uh, how they're significant to each other has really helped me. You know, things like angles and ball trajectory in tennis, uh, you know, has really helped me on the center circle, uh, getting draws, going up for the ball, being able to track the ball into my stick, whether it's short or going over my head or reading a bounce or things like that. So, um, you know, there's certainly, I was, I was keeping busy year round. Um, I have a theory that we all, we all talk about multi-sport athletes you know, and that there's a crossover and there's no, no, there's no dispute for me on that. But I actually think there might be a bigger impact if you were a multi-sport athlete in at least one of those other sports was more unstructured and pickup rather than structure. Because I feel like the actual unstructured piece is where you gain this fluency. Yeah. And I think that I'm like, my question to you as it relates to that is, of all these other sports, what, what percentage was just you playing with friends and just playing the game rather than, you know, learning how to hit a volleyball exactly the right way? And all yeah, 100% agree with you. You know, all growing up, I was playing footy, as I referenced, Aussie rules football. And I was, you know, my dad kind of taught me to play at a young age and every single lunchtime through, we call it primary school. So that's kind of third grade to seventh grade every single lunchtime I was out playing with the boys and there was no referee. There was no, um, you know, no one mandating or teaching us how to do it. You know, we'd watch, watch the professionals on the weekend 
and you go out and have a kick with your dad or your mom or whoever family members. And then you go and you just play and you figure it out and you'd be, you'd be able to read when was an appropriate time to do a give and go or how to pick up a weird shaped ball from the ground. And, you know, hundred percent. And that's, you know, that's one sport, but at the same time you're learning, you're learning teamwork, you're learning communication, you're learning um, aggressiveness, all of it. Uh, and absolutely just, just doing that from a young age. Again, every chance I got, I was doing something and I would say seven, at least 75% of the time it was unstructured on my own. Yeah. Unstructured. Yeah. It's really cool. So, all right. So you ended up at Northwestern surprisingly you didn't get recruited to go to Maryland or that you didn't go there and follow in Jenna. <laughs> well, I did. Yeah. I, I chose not to it in, uh, when it came down to it. So how did that, tell me real, real quick. Um, you know, how did you end up at Northwestern? Cause I want to hear more about that, but just a little bit about how you ended up there. Yeah. So I was getting recruited, um, you know, by a bunch of different schools. It just, it really worked out in my favor that the 2005 world cup was in Annapolis. So as a 17 year old, I was playing in that and that was perfect timing for me to visit some of these schools. Had I not had the opportunity to do that, I probably would have ended up at Maryland. You know, that was where I thought I was going to go from seventh grade. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to visit Northwestern and uh, went on an official visit with my mom and dad. And, uh, you know, when it came down to it, a couple of reasons, wanted to do something different. Um, you know, a lot of Aussies have been to Maryland and I really just believed in Kelly and her philosophy and what, what her vision for the program was. You know, they had just won their first national championship. You could, you know, you could hear it in her voice when she spoke that she, you know, was passionate about it um, and, and, and had big things in mind for the program. And, uh, you know, I was just really impressed with, with the facilities. And, and, you know, as a young kid, it was less for me about the school. Uh, in all honesty, it was more just about lacrosse. And uh, I just believed that was a, a place I could go and be individually successful uh, and, you know, win championships, which was the ultimate. Uh, the ultimate goal of mine. <laughs> Which you did. So, <laughs> yeah. um, lacrosse, what was it like playing for Kelly? You know, you got a chance to coach with her years later. Um, but, uh, but you know, what was the program like at that time? I mean, you guys won four championships. Yeah. Uh, what was lacrosse in general like? I feel like there's been a lot of evolution since then. But, but, uh, but, but sort of give us, you know, some, some memories of stuff that you learned or that stick out. Yeah, I'll start with playing for Kelly. You know, I think uh, she had a, you know, a way to make, you know, I think this is what great coaches do, right? It's, you can't really put a thing, you know, put a exact pinpoint on it, but they've got a way of making you want to play for them and kind of inspiring you to, to go your hardest and to play your hardest and do your best uh, because a compliment from Kelly means the world and, and getting a high five from the coaching staff, you know, meant the world, but you know, it was a supportive environment. It was encouraging. Um, it was really, really competitive, uh, you know, between players and we were, you know, we were crazy people, <laughs> even practice drills and things like that. But she promoted that competitiveness uh, and just, you know, you could see how hard they worked and it made you want to work hard as well. Um, you know, so that was kind of playing for her, you know, and I think that the thing I walked into a team that just had so much confidence and it wasn't an arrogance or a cockiness. It was confidence in their ability and, confidence because we'd done the work and, and kind of year after year that confidence grew especially by my senior year uh you know we, we went undefeated and we walked onto that national championship field just knowing we were going to win uh and it, it was almost an expectation you know now as a coach I'm like wow that, that's crazy to win four in a row <laughs> it is. You know, that's really hard to do but as players it was just the norm and uh you know you never spoke about it you, you know at the beginning of the year you never kind of said it was kind of just a, a thing that you knew we're going to be there at the end. Uh, we're going to be competing for a national championship and uh, you know, we're going to work our, work our butts off um, to get there. But it was just kind of an expectation thing and that confidence, I think, and the belief that we had was, was a big part in why we were successful. Um, I think when you look at the evolution of lacrosse, you know, when I look back now, I mean, it was a totally different game to what we're playing and, and what I'm coaching now in terms of, even, you know, starting the center draw, there was a lot more people in the, in the draw area and then everyone could run in at the same time. Uh, no free movement. Uh, I came in the year after women's lacrosse added boundaries, which thank God, because as a kid coming over, we played with boundaries. I'm like, wait, how can you, how can you play a sport without, without a perimeter? Um, so they just added that. Um, it was still seven on seven, but yeah, just not as free flowing, uh, I would say, but I think we were for, for our era, we were still playing a really, really high level uh, yeah. of lacrosse and a really forward thinking version of lacrosse in terms of, you know, 05 was the first time I think women's lacrosse had seen 
that back of defense that they played in the 05, you know, championship where they were pressuring the ball and, and making, making offenses uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, that had never been done before. I think Northwestern was probably one of the first teams that uh, did lines like the men do, you know, subbing in lines, uh, subbing on the fly, things like that, rather than just having middies who run the whole game. Um, you know, that was, I think, largely in part to Scotty and, and what, his, what he brought from the men's side. Uh, so I think that, you know, even though lacrosse was a little bit behind where it is now, I think we were really, for our era, pushing the envelope of what was possible. Well, no doubt, because the players, you know, from that era are still playing and are still some of the best in the world, yeah. even though you guys are maybe past your prime. Um, there's so many, you know, it uh, seems like. How many Tawaraton winners came out of Northwestern? No, uh, there's a few. I think, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot. I, it's, I looked at the list the other day, actually, for something completely, completely off topic, but... Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton. And it just goes to, you know, in the era that we were really winning championships, it goes to show that she was developing players as well. And um, yeah. we were learning the game. We were learning how to play. And, and you can also see that, uh, you know, the passion that we all have for it by how many people are coaching. You know, oh my God. The tree that I think is always spoken about when, you know, you speak about Kelly is how many people are coaching, whether it be head, head or assistant coaches. So uh, that love for the game was really uh, ingrained in, in a lot of us. Well, when I met you, you were the assistant at Colorado, and it was a full-on Northwestern takeover mm -hmm. of Boulder, Colorado, with you and Colleen McGarity, and for uh, coaching for new head coach Ann Elliott. Um, did you guys all come um, together from that staff? Like, how did that how did that come together? And, and what was that experience like building a program from scratch? Yeah. So, um, first question, like Annie got that job, and I was coaching at Towson at the time, and sort of. I remember half jokingly said to her when they announced that Boulder was adding, I was like, Oh, this would be great. You get the head coaching job and I'll, I'll come join you as an assistant. Cause living in Colorado was always a dream of mine. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, you know, as it happens a few weeks later, she texted me and, and she's like, well, you know, were you serious? And so I went out there and then Colleen McGarity was still just graduated, was working in Chicago in insurance at the time. And, you know, wasn't, wasn't loving the real world. And uh, we were able to lure her from, from working in, in an office out into Colorado. So that was, you know, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had, uh, okay. getting to build a program uh, from scratch, literally having a hand in everything from which facility on, on campus we were gonna play in, uh, where our offices were gonna be, what our uniforms were gonna be. Uh, you know, that first year we didn't have a lot to do. So it was a lot of just kind of planning and watching a lot of lacrosse. Um, you know, luckily for me, a lot of skiing as well in, in my spare time, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, as that, you know, the first class rolled in, it was a really unique experience to, to coach 21 freshmen. You know, it was, you know, they were clueless. Uh, me and Colleen definitely acted like they're seniors. You know, we, we sat them down and we're like, all right, this, this was usually stuff that your seniors tell you, but we're going to give you a list of like do's and do nots. You know, I'll never forget, we, we turned up to Denver for our first football game. We get there, we didn't have any balls because no one, you know, we didn't think we had to tell them, but who was going to tell them, right? Like we had to tell them literally everything and, you know, embarrassingly have to go and ask the Denver coaching staff, can we borrow the balls? Like just learning lessons from day to day. And, uh, but so rewarding to see, you know, for me to see that class. I, I coached them for two years before I, uh, before I moved on. Uh, but I was actually there. Uh, in their senior year, uh, we, I was on the Northwestern coaching staff at that point, and uh, they beat us. So to kind of see them, you know, it was obviously I was coaching for Northwestern, so I wanted to win. But, you know, for me, it was a little, you know, at the same time to see rewarding to see them yeah. come so far in, in four years and, and be beating, you know, top, top dogs in the competition was, uh, you know, it was, it was rewarding for me to know that we recruited them and coached them in their early years. And, you know, Colorado will always hold a special place in my heart uh, just because, you know, we, we were the ones who started it and were there for you know, three three years of, of my life. Totally. And I remember you – I was actually at that game. I went to that uh, oh, yeah. game yep. in Colorado, yeah. And the Colorado goalie had like 19 saves. Yeah, yeah. over time it was uh, – <laughs> um, So then you went back to Northwestern. You decided, you know, for a while there you were going to get out of coaching. I think you went home and then you came mm -hmm. back and started coaching. Um, at Northwestern, back to your alma mater. How, how, how different was it, you know, to be back years later um, to, to coach and to be, you know, on the staff of Kelly instead of, you know, playing for her? 
yeah, it was, you know, it was a great experience to be, you know, as you know, I've only, only ever spent time at Northwestern as a player uh, when you really don't know what goes on behind the scenes at all. You know, you kind of just turn up to the field and, you know, you, you think your coaches have nothing to do and, you know, the athletic department doesn't really exist because the world revolves around you and that's not really the case. Uh, so it was, it was really um, a really rewarding and, and really cool experience to kind of go back and people you know, people were still there who were there when I was playing. So to, to be co-workers with them and colleagues with them uh, was, was really fun. And, uh, you know, just learning, learning from Kelly and Scotty. And, uh, you know, Tim McCormick was there at the time and yep. we got to share an office, which was awesome. You know, him and I get along really, really well. Yep. Um, so him and I to pick each other's brains and, uh, you know, to pick the brain of Kelly and Scotty and just kind of see, you know, I guess, I think everyone, if they could, would, would, love to coach at their alma mater and see them succeed. So for me, it was, it was really great also to connect with that generation of players. Uh, I think you, you get, you know, six, seven, eight years removed and you sort of lose touch with the, with, can lose touch with the program a little bit and not know the players. So for me, one of the, one of the most rewarding parts was coming in and just getting to reconnect with, with this era of Northwestern players um, and get to work with some great players, you know, working with Selena yeah. or Soda was really fun. You know, unfortunately, she was injured for the majority of the year I was there, but we built oh, yeah. a really good relationship um, and to be able to mentor her and help her through it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, really rewarding, really fun. I'm, I'm glad it was only for a short time, but I'm glad I got to do it, even though it was for only, uh, you know, one season. So um, yeah, it was shorter than you probably expected. And all of a sudden <laughs> yes. you're getting offered, you know, one of the best jobs um, in the country who also happens to be an arch rival of your alma mater. <laughs> yes. So now you're at the University of Michigan and you're sitting in an office right now that I'm, I'm looking at in the view and you've got really some of the best facilities. I took a nice tour of it last year and man, unbelievable commitment to lacrosse at the University of Michigan. So talk to us about, you know, give us the state of the union at Michigan and how everything's going. Yeah, I, look, it's, it's surreal to be sitting in this chair. I say that to, you know, recruits and to people all the time to, you know, I, again, we talked about how I got here and starting in Australia. I think, you know, as a young Aussie to be sitting in this chair, it really is, I have to pinch myself. And, um, you know, for the longest time, I, I didn't think I wanted to be a head coach just because of, I, was, I think I was immature there for a while um, and scared of the commitment and, uh, you know, just a little bit, you know, head coaching is a full-time job 24 seven round the clock. And I didn't think I'd be interested in it, but you know, now, you know, as I was going through the interview process at, at Michigan, uh, it really kind of hit home that I think I'm actually, well, I, I know I'm now interested in this and I think I'd be pretty good at it and I'm passionate about coaching. And so, you know, here I am, but it is, it is really surreal uh, for me to, to be in this, in this seat and, and in this position, I feel really lucky, but things here are great. You know, it's been, you know, year one was, you know, I was just, just trying to keep afloat. Um, I think no one can prepare you for your first year of, of coaching. Uh, you just, you're getting hit from all angles, uh, from the players, from your coaching staff, from the people you have to go from being an assistant coach to a manager of people. And you're answering to a lot of people. So I think first year I got through it, you know, and then I was happy to get through it. And, uh, you know, we managed to, to win a nice game at the end of that year. And, and last year I really felt like, I, um, you know, I found my groove a little bit as a coach uh, and I'm still learning, you know, every single day. Uh, but, but things here, you know, they're great. I guess when you look at the program and the, you know, like you said, the support that Michigan puts behind all their sports, um, you know, whether it's football or basketball, which obviously everyone knows about, but, you know, women's lacrosse, we get as much resources or as many resources as some of the you know, biggest teams on campus. Uh, it's incredible the, you know, the resources they put behind us and the support that they put behind us for us to succeed. Uh, so I, you know, I often tell recruits, you know, if we don't do well, uh, it's not on anyone else except for me. It's, it's, you know, and that's the way I'd want it. Uh, you know, it's up to me to coach the team effectively because I've got all the resources I need to do that. Uh, so if we don't do well, it means I'm not doing something right, which is, um, you know, the way I want it. Um, the team itself, you know, I'm really, really excited for this year. Um, you know, we've, we return almost everybody from last year. And obviously last year was a breakout year for the program. Uh, I think it was, you know, we expected to be better than we were the year before. Uh, but even for me, I was a little, uh, you know, when I sit back and actually evaluate it, I, I have to kind of you know, admit like, wow, that was, you know, probably exceeded expectations. Um, and so that was a top 10 finish with a home, home game in the NCAA tournament, correct? Yeah, ended up with an eight seed in the tournament. So, got to, you know, not only made the Big Ten tournament for the first time, but made the NCAA tournament for the first time and hosted 
um, you know, unfortunately bowed out in a second round game to Denver, but just, you know, the, the team last year was incredible. Uh, you know, we tested them week to week. We threw a lot at them. We challenged them uh, after every game, win or loss to get better. And they answered every challenge that we threw at them and just kept believing, you know, as we kept winning uh, and getting stronger and stronger, they kept believing. And obviously we were peaking at the right time uh, towards the end of the year and were beating some people we'd never beat before. Uh, so that was exciting. And, and what's exciting this year is, is that we don't really lose too many players. So had a couple of weeks of fall practice already and and you know we're definitely looking the best we ever have at this point in the year you know we look fast we look stronger we look uh just a bit more knowledgeable iq wise you know that first year was it would take us maybe three weeks to get through you know simple concepts and now it's taken us one practice so um you know we we have not skipped over any of the fundamentals where we pride ourselves on really teaching and breaking down the fundamentals of the game uh, and making sure the IQ is there and the same, we're speaking the same language and we're really teaching and watching a lot of film and getting those fundamentals right. And, uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on that last year and it's translating to this year uh, and, and letting us evolve into doing, you know, a bit more uh, creative, you know, things on the field. So very different um, uh, challenge to build a culture like you did from scratch at Colorado and to inherit a culture and have to, rebuild um how did you do that and how are you doing that yeah i think you know we came into a program that definitely needed some some changes uh you know they'd had a losing record for four years in a row um so the you know morale was a little i guess down and and i think the team itself was they'd become used to losing which is a never never a position you want to be and they become okay with losing um but on the flip side i think they just graduated their inaugural class. So they graduated a lot of players. So we inherited a group that really hadn't seen much playing time and that were eager for change. I think, you know, they, there was no pushback on us coming in, no reluctancy. They knew a change needed to happen and they were really fired up uh, to meet our standards, to meet our expectations and to do what we were asking of them. So, you know, I, I kind of equate what we walked into similar to a Colorado situation where, whereby, you know, I, I thought of that, first year is having 35 freshmen, you know, and no one, whether you're a senior or a freshman really knew what we were talking about when we were explaining things, when we were uh, breaking things down. So everyone had a clean slate and was learning things, you know, together, um, which was, uh, you know, when you, when you look at it now, your freshmen come in and they're quite significantly behind, which wasn't there in, in that first year because everyone was going through it together. So um, that was, that was really great. They were eager for change, which was awesome. Um, and it was, it was, it was really focusing on the culture piece and what my standards and my expectations were, which, you know, are some of the things I've probably already talked about, but, you know, having a good attitude, uh, being a really hard worker, uh, that's something that, you know, I pride myself on, uh, you know, working hard and being disciplined. Um, again, having a good attitude, um, bringing the energy to practice, uh, and, and being a good teammate and putting the team before yourself above all else. And that those are things that, as a player, I live by, as, as a person I live by, and that I expect, you know, our team to, uh, to buy into as well. And they have, you know, they've, they've really bought into our values, our expectations, you know, big, we're big on holding people accountable. Uh, but then we move on, you know, big on teaching lessons and when we can and when we have to, but um, for the most part, the, the group we're working with is just, just awesome. A great group of girls. And it's, you know, I think that's hard to come into a team that you didn't recruit, but I think we were really lucky in the sense that we inherited really great people first and foremost with great attitudes and who want to learn and want to get better. Uh, and you know, it's, it's trended in that direction as they've gotten to know, you know, myself and the coaching staff better and better, you know, they're starting to now hold each other accountable to those standards. And they know now what being a Michigan lacrosse player entails. It, the, the idea of holding each other accountable is so huge. I was recently, um, uh, on the road watching a bunch of Division One men's practices. And I went to Yale. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Andy Shea at Yale has, uh, has done this. Um, and I was pretty blown away by the level of intensity and accountability being you know, represented by players to players. Right. Coaches kind of like said, all right, this is what we're doing. Let's go. And then the players, they were on it. And if guys didn't do what they were supposed to do, Right. I'm not sure if it'll go over that well on you know women's lacrosse. But, <laughs> you know, it was like F bombs, you better do that. And it was yeah. kind of, the, the, the concept is there though. How do you get accountability 
and get kids to step up and say what they're thinking and that they know needs to be done because this is how in the end great teams right great well and that's still a learning process for us right and i think it's even more difficult on the women's side because i think girls are a little bit more tentative to to say something to another girl because you might hurt their feelings or you might get thought of as mean uh so we're really trying to just teach you know our players that look once you cross the white line like you got to be on and you're allowed to say something to that person if they're not holding their weight, you know, say it in the correct tone and say it in a tone that's going to be, you know, received well and know your audience. Uh, but it's no reflection on you as a person. They're not insulting your personality. You know, they're, they're telling you to go harder for a ground ball. And, you know, we've really encouraged that communication. And, you know, once you step off the field, you're back to being buddies and, and kind of leave it, leave it in the dust. Um, and that's, again, something that I was really, um, kind of quickly, I quickly learned as a kid, because again, you're playing with people in their 20s and 30s, they're telling you what's up, like they're saying, like, don't turn over the ball, or, or you know, you've got to be here, and I was told that, so I learned to be pretty thick-skinned from a young age, and it's just teaching them, again, like you said, if you can have that play-to-player accountability, so the coaches can kind of sit back and uh, do the bigger picture stuff, it's, it's massive. Other things that you do specifically to help develop that beyond talking about it? It's, you know, any opportunity we have to point it out, uh, you know, we'll do that. And, and it might probably, well, it usually isn't in front of a group. Uh, it's usually to an individual, you know, currently we're doing a leadership group for the fall uh, to try and foster these types of, um, you know, to A, teach leadership, but uh, to be, you know, to have a little bit more point people to go to for certain things. But if, yeah, certainly if coaches see something happening, we'll go speak to an individual and say, Hey, look, that wasn't good enough. You knew it. Say something to her next time. Uh, so it's not calling out a specific person in front of the whole group, but it's, uh, you know, just giving people little tidbits on, you know, when, when it's appropriate to say something and what maybe could have been said, but uh, it's not, I'm not one to really stand in front of a group and preach and talk about this stuff. It's more when I see it in action and actioning things every day, that's kind of how we foster the, you know, the culture that we're, that we're wanting. Got it. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, Go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy. So let's talk a little bit about, about player development. Um, you know, you, you talk a lot about, you know, your desire to break it down and build it up, you know, the fundamentals and your passion for the game and learning. And, and you know, you talk about learning picks and flips and, you know, all of these skills, you know, that, that, you know, fascinate you and me. And one of the reasons why we love talking lacrosse, but, um, <laughs> But how, uh, how do you, how do you uh, go about teaching this and how do you sort of bring people from, you know, this level of fundamental to the level of elite skill? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's not something that there's enough time for in a two-hour practice. You know, if we're talking practice specifically, we do a lot of, especially right now in the fall, um, positional breakdowns. So we may start with, you know, stick, you know, stick work and ground balls every day transition usually majority of the of, day, of the days of the week uh, and then we'll usually go into a positional setting where it's either defenders and middies at one end and the attackers or the attackers and middies at one end with the with the defenders at the other and uh, you know we'll typically in these sessions be breaking down a specific uh, skill or concept uh, and then what we've been doing this fall is going straight into a live setting and seeing how that translates you know and, and really you know for us I think my coaching staff is, I think you have to be a good teacher to be able to teach it. You know, that's kind of sounds simple, but you've got to be able to do it yourself, uh, break it down and show how it's meant to be done and really educate and, and teach in a, uh, in a way that relates to these kids uh, and, and to really break it down in a way that, uh, you know, makes sense to them. So that's sort of how we do it. Um, you know, come together, see how it looks. A big thing for our offense this year is just, all right, let's pick one aspect, whether it's picking or, 
you know, backdoor cuts or whatever it is. Let's go break it down into position or talk about it in maybe a scripted, more skeleton setting. Come back. Again, the free play concept, just tell them go play 5v5 or 6v6 or, you know, eventually build up to 7v7 and just give it, give them those little pieces of information and, and try and let them look for the opportunities to use it in the, in that live play setting. Um, you know, that's sort of in our, in our two hour practice window. Uh, but outside of that, we have a really, really big culture here of individual work. And, you know, if you look at our calendar on any given day, it is full from top to bottom with different coaches, myself included, out on the field with the players breaking down skills. So there's some that, you know, might be freshman players or first year or second year players that just need uh, shooting technique. And so they'll be, they'll be doing shooting technique that day. There'll be some that are a bit more advanced and are getting more into different kinds of dodges or feeding off of a dodge or, you know, different progressions of dodge, step back, you know, re-attack, whatever it is. It could be anything, defensive footwork. But going back to the resources we have here, you know, we have a director of operations, we have a video coordinator that kind of takes a lot of the load off of our plate for us to just spend the whole day on the field. Uh, so, you know, again, we had today's Wednesday, we were out for two hours, you know, this morning, and then all of us turned around and at, you know, 10 a.m. we were back on the field with all three of us were out there at once, uh, just breaking down, breaking down skills and getting the mechanics right uh, so that they, you know, when we build it back into the practice setting, that then it translates. But again, I can't tell you how many hours a week we're spending out on the field as coaches, uh, you know, with individual players or, or groups of players. So awesome. And by the way, it's such an amazing learning opportunity for you and the coaches to, to coach the skills that much, isn't it? Oh, it's huge. And you learn, and I think you learn something about yourself every time you do it. And, you know, you may do it with one kid and they don't pick it up really well. You might change your technique the next time and then they get it. And you're like, all right, I'm going to use that back with that kid. And even today, you know, I explained just a, a simple split dodge kind of three different ways. We finally got one way that, that stuck. And we're like, right, forget everything else I said, just focus on that. And so you're constantly learning about yourself as a teacher and, you know, what works and what doesn't. And it might not be the same for each kid. There, there are just so many things to learn, too, when it <laughs> comes down to all the different ways to dodge. I mean, you think of dodging, you think of split dodges. But, sure. you know, you got the beginning of the dodge. And then yep. that's the wind-ups. Winding dodge, out, yeah. You know, getting close to the double threat. Or then you got the middle of the dodge. You know, you got all your rollbacks and your cutbacks and your – you know, hesitation moves and finalizers and pop outs. And then you got the end of the dodge, which has a million ways to get shot. <laughs> yeah. And that's just dodging. There's a lot. And it's, you know, I, I think, again, if I don't know how much my players maybe watch, but again, you learn so much of that just by watching people. You know, I was watching the, the PLL championship this weekend and I just was watching it, getting ideas for myself as a player, getting an idea for different plays we could put in, you know, just different ideas for, for stick work drills we could do. Like it's, you know, you can learn a lot of that by watching. And uh, yeah, as you said, there's, there's a lot of skills to be taught in a four-year career, but uh, hopefully little by little, you can at least get a good, you know, we call it tools in the toolbox. You've got to have tools in the toolbox. Uh, you know, if you get stopped one way to be out of, you know, have a counter move and uh, to be able to get out of a situation or make something out of nothing or whatever it is. So, You know, tools in the toolbox, it's such a great analogy. Um, but I always find that, that so many times, kids you teach them and they've got you know a ton of tools in the toolbox but they still all they really use is their hammer you know yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> this is you know it's universal it's men's and women's lacrosse and I've, I've you know this is why the whole free play stuff that I've been really on lately right. and I've been on it for a couple of years but I've just been dialing it up and up and up because what I'm what I'm noticing with the players that I work with and I coach a high school girls team now mm -hmm. but I also like still coach boys I mean I just kind of coach and look at it all the time but I also know that over the course of time, I, I kind of did what you're doing. I broke down every imaginable skill and concept and all this. And we created all the tools in the toolbox. But I was like, you know, I, I, I think there's something too, like you said, letting the kids go out and play and try it and figure right. it out. Because it has more to do with your processing of what's happening around you and the decisions that you make. Yeah. And, you know, so a player has to see what's happening. I have the ball. Where's, how's my defender playing me? Where are the other defenders? Where are my teammates? Where is the open space? Where's the goal? How much time left in the shot clock? Right. A, who's yelling at me? All these things are happening. And then you have to yeah. make decisions. Yeah. And, and then you have to execute the decisions with techniques. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we spend so much time on the technique 
and it becomes diminishing returns. Like you have to show the technique in certain cases, although there's arguments to say that maybe you could learn a technique without being taught. I think that's possible. Yeah. Um, have you ever done something in a game where you're like, holy cow, how did I do that? Done that before. <laughs> I probably have. <laughs> but but um, so, you know, this is like the, uh, the yin and the yang, the push and the pull of yeah. teaching versus letting them play. Well, I think that was a big thing that's kind of we're seeing success this year is because I think last year we taught so much about just the structure of the offense and things kind of like talking about, like how to create space you know, fading versus a cut through, fading into spaces, uh, you know, dodge pass pass, you know, simple kind of concepts of, of broader picture offense. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, by the end of the season, you know, I'll admit we became predictable. You know, our offense had at first, first thought in my head was meant to be this really multidimensional thing. By the end of the year, we were robotic. And so, you know, that's been a big thing for us. But, but because we spent so much time on those concepts last year, well, we're now going and we're teaching you know, whether it's you know, picking on ball or whatever, it is, you know, like a simple skill that we now break down and now we go and put it back into the live situation. Now they've got that IQ piece for the most part. Uh, it's not perfect, but um, yeah. they've got, you know, they know when it's their time to dodge versus when they should transfer the ball versus when they should fade into a position or cut through or whatever it is. Now they've got those, you know, that awareness that now it's a bit more, simple for them to implement the skills that we're kind of going back and teaching. Uh, so it is, it's kind of the push pull yin yang. What do you teach first? Right. Um, and for us, it's been a, a long two years of getting the IQ down. Uh, and we've got very specific you know, language and very specific in last year it was very specific rules. And now the rules have sort of gone away and it's all right, be creative within this structure. Um, which is again, teaching you know this week it was one concept one like specific skill the week before it was was something else and all right guys now go do it uh and it is you know you kind of see that you know they're athletes they get it they you know it may not be the cleanest and you have to have to you know fix things along the way and tweak things but they'll at least try it and they at least for the most part know you know when when is the appropriate time to do it and, and it's just kind of fixing maybe the backside and the rest of it uh and you know lucky it's a long fall <laughs> The the, uh, the late great Dave Huntley always used to talk about everything that happens outside of around twelve yards in front of the goal is all just noise. <laughs> and um, I kind of you know it's funny because because you look at you know you think about offense and I remember growing up as a coach and you know you're trying to spread them out you know spread them out spread them out but you know in the end the defense aren't going to just get spread out and in the right. end running by somebody. Is, is important, but but there's a million people that are so fast, but yet they can't get their shots off. And it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, the ability, and women's now I coach girls across, and to be able to be good in the eight, you know, to, yeah. be able to get shots off. I mean, how many times have you watched, you know, girls, you know, high school girls catch it, and they're like, they're like three yards from the crease, but there's someone on them, and they run out. They don't shoot it. But how much, you know, and this sort of is right back to the whole box lacrosse. That's why Dave Huntley, you know, he's a box, yeah. you know, he's Canadian. Um, and um, anyways, um, do you try to train your players to have these sort of box skills? Are you recruiting that? And, you know, you mentioned two-man game a couple of times in this conversation. Yeah, like we're certainly, you know, I've watched a lot of stuff you do and been at clinics and things, and it's it's something it's that we mess around with. I wouldn't say it's the uh, the at the forefront of our offense. You know, at this point, you look at a team like Northwestern, and they're heavily using it, right? And they're really executing it at a high level too. Uh, and you see how much it can uh, produce for you, you know, in multiple different ways: on ball, off ball. Uh, so it's certainly, you know, we've got we've got players that we're think we're working a little bit more basic and broad picture right now um but you know the simple you know flips and two-man game on ball and, and having the awareness on the backside certainly I think it's not something we're diving completely into yet uh in terms of you know the, the double threat and really uh just working in a small space but um you know within what we're trying to do once you get into small spaces you know helping our players figure out what to do you know and and not just be able to beat someone with a, with a 50, 10 yard run up. You know, how can you manipulate the defender on your approach? Kind of like you touched on before, 
to get them on their heels and beat them in a three yard, you know, a three yard, you know, distance uh, with the reattacks and the hesitations and the, the, yeah, exactly. Like looking back, pump fakes, whatever it is. So there's certainly elements uh, without kind of going too far in that direction. Well, you have a lefty on your team, at least last year you did, that could play that way, that's for sure. And she's yeah. played around people. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know how many goals she had, but I bet she had a lot. Yeah, she had a great year. Caitlin Muir, she was an upstate New York kid. And she, um, again, tools, talk about tools and toolbox. We are just, and Adam is, you know, primarily working with her, you know, once, at least twice a week, I'd say, uh, at just those different things. You have to get stop topside. You know, what are your options? If, they, if they're shutting off the underneath, what are your options now? I'm working with her on a feeding game. Uh, but certainly there's a couple. She had a couple of really nice goals. I think it was our Northwestern game where she was almost yeah. stationary she and was. just rocker and, and shot at sidearm. So, it was um, yeah, she's, she's just, again, evolving, and we're happy she's only a junior. <laughs> well, you know, you, it, you know, it's in men's and women's lacrosse, the opportunity to, to – you know, get to a spot on the field, you know, somewhere between the goal line and the elbow, right on the, right yeah. on the there. You post up there, you can feed, you're really close. Yeah. They kind of have to slide to you, but if they don't, how do you stop somebody? It's not like you can beat the snot out of them and push them out physically. Right. I mean, you can resist. And it's, I'm not saying it's not physical, but it's, it, but, but you can't do that much without, right. without help. Yeah. Um, Such an advantageous position. And it's, uh, again, you know, I dominated that, that part of the field when you played. Yeah, and you know what? Like I, I was never a really good dodger. I don't think it was. Uh, I could score when I had to, but I was way more a feeder, right? Like I love feeding. Um, if if a defender met me on goal unextended, I I would would run up to them like I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, you know, towards my junior and senior year, I developed some moves, but I could never, you know, master the inside roll. It was just something I had a mental block with. You know, it's something I've worked on since, but. Um, yeah, I had the ability there, I think, more to at least perceive to defenses that I was an offensive threat sure. and then be able to step back and feed. And, uh, you know, to be able to, be able to do both, and we're working really heavily with our kind of ex-attackers on, you know, getting to that spot and be in the middle of your dodge, be able to feed, you know, at any second uh, and obviously then wrap your hands and, and dodge physically uh, yeah. and get to that spot where you can, you know, shoot sidearm over the shoulder, roll back, you know, question mark, whatever it is. Uh, but it is. And if you can develop all those tools in that area, you're going to be really hard to stop. One of the things that uh, I talk about with, you know, um, as it relates to Dave Huntley is he had put together these stats on MLL lacrosse talking about two-man game. And the stats suggest that there's better scoring efficiencies with two-man than there is mm -hmm. with isolation. And you sort of say to yourself, well, why is that? You know, and I guess it's because when you involve communication and decision-making sure. on defense, it makes it a little bit harder. But I also think, you know, you're bringing another defender to the ball, and that sort of is a little counterintuitive. Right. Um, but you're, what you're really doing in so many ways is if you can break through, now all of a sudden you have to slide. And right. now instead of having five covering six, you've got four covering five. Four covering three. Yeah. And if you have a three-man side and you break through, now it's three covering four. And so it takes more skill, I think. Um, um, but it's uh, kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, oh, I, I totally agree. Especially in women's lacrosse, you know, you're playing 77. So if you can, you know, bring one away from the backside and, yeah. and, and execute efficiently, you know, with a pick on ball or whether it's a screen or a flip or whatever, whatever it is, yeah. then yes, you're at least dragging one more away uh, from the big clump of people that's, that's typically on the backside in our game. Uh, you know, Adam and I have talked a lot already this year, just – I wish we played 6v6. <laughs> and then our defensive coach is like, no way, 7v7 all the way. But, you know, trying to figure out what to do with that seventh attacker is um, – You guys play man or zone? We're men. Yep, we're big on just kind of athleticism, stopping people one v one We have a zone. We haven't typically used it. Um, defense has been the backbone of, of our team for the past two years. Um, you know, really, I think we're number six in the nation last year in, in goals against. So, um, yeah, locking it down. And, you know, again, I think zone concepts come in when you're sliding and you're, yeah. you know, man down on the backside. So it's, it's teaching a really solid team fundamental defense uh, within, you know, the, the 1v1, lots of communication, you know, for the first time this year, that's our least experienced side of the ball. So it's kind of getting the freshman uh, 
you know, confident in, in talking and what to say and, and getting veterans now working a bit more with some, some younger players. So um, that's been a heavy emphasis for us already in the fall and it will continue to be, but yeah, man, man to man, uh, we got, we look for athletes and we want to you know, be able to stop people one v one, you know, first and foremost. Yeah. And, um, but you're, there's a lot, what would you say the percentage of man versus zone on your schedule? Oh, last year was, he- I thought was heavy zone. Um, Seems like a this year when I'm just looking at it, I think it's probably heavy zone out of conference. But I would say the majority of the Big Ten is playing man-to-man at the moment. So, uh, well, at least they were last year. You know, who knows what we'll see this year. But, um, yeah, we see both. In the beginning of the year, we offensively handled zones pretty well. And, you know, that at the end of the year ultimately was our was our kryptonite. So, um you know, we're definitely working on, on concepts offensively to, to beat a zone with a bit more movement and cutting and drags and carries and, and all those kinds of things. So, um, but yeah, if we can, hopefully the out-of-conference schedule will help us um, with, with the, you know, with that, if we ever see it, you know, in conference. Right. Well, you know, it seems like in girls lacrosse, not women's lacrosse, they you don't see as much of the man up type of play uh, mm. as kids grow up playing. They, they pretty much grow up more man to man and, you know, maybe pressure, maybe not, but it's, it's a lot more man to man. Maybe there's slides, maybe not, mm-hmm. but it's not like, you know, it seems like uh, there's not, even the man up, you know, like you just yeah. don't see like, you know, people playing three on twos and four on threes, you know, how many times, you know, in men's across, they, they, they work on a box against three rotating and learning how to, like you said, drag and carry and throw back and skip and wind mm-hmm. up and use all that slow down. Um, it's, uh, it's counterintuitive a little bit in women's cross because it's such a speed game and everything is go, right. go, 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 go. Working on it yourselves because you kind of have to be able to do that. So if you're sort of, you know, you, you, uh, you know, sort of said, hey, we're, we're working on these concepts of drags and carries and what are some of the yeah. things you do to try to develop zone type of concepts or man? You know, exactly, exactly. Kind of like you said, um, you know, we're working a lot. And again, things that I've kind of learned from you and, and seen you do um, just simple three V two passing drills, four V three passing drills to warm up our sticks, you know, just getting, uh, getting comfortable with defenders and, and learning defensive rotations uh, in those settings, um, doing a bit more, men up on cages on on cage uh again just to to learn how they're rotating and and stopping a lot and pointing things out uh you know because people could do things once and you might think that they knew what they were doing but happens again the next time and they don't do it so um we're big on kind of stopping and talking through it whether it was a positive or a negative um but yeah i mean even in again we've we've had two weeks of practice and i think we've probably done at least five days of 3v2 or 4v3 passing just to warm up and, and it's translated really well into just in, into drills that we've been doing whether it's a ground ball to cage you know as a progression or a fast breaks or whatever it is um just getting comfortable with a defender in your face and being out of you know pump fake one way and move the ball or look one way move you know we're really trying to hone in on the no look passes and things like that and, and you you realize that they haven't been taught it before and so it's something that again i naturally do but playing for a long time so it's yeah. breaking down those skills in just a very controlled environment and then putting it in again to a live drill and pointing out uh you know what we did what was good about it what was bad about it um and you know as you're saying the man up stuff uh you know around the cage whether it's starting 2v1 building up to a bit more small-sided and um just honing in on, on the man up to learn how to manipulate your defender and how to manipulate the space, uh, how to move with the ball, the body mechanics of what a drag is, what a carry is, what a throwback is, all those kinds of things um, is what we've really been focusing on for these first two weeks. And when you say three on two, four on three passing, you're referring to like keep away, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Groups of groups of five, whatever it is set up in a triangle, just, uh, Exactly. Keep away. Defense is working and, and offense is working to not drop the ball or, or not turn it over. Right. Free play. I mean, that's very much like free play. Keep away is, you know, because it's yep. not scripted, right? It's a, you can have them execute certain movements, but you just never know how the defense is going to play. They're making decisions. They're right. processing who's open. Exactly. Um, yeah, really cool. I got, you know, the same as uh, I think one of, one of the guys I was listening to on yours too, it's like soccer does it a lot, right? The, yeah. I think they call it the Rondo. 
um, yeah. rondo drills, and it's that goes as big as the other day we were doing seven, I think seven on the outside, four in the middle. So it's just again that ball zipping around quickly and thinking about your next pass before you catch the ball, you know, things like that. Just you know, again, that's the stuff you used to play as a kid, right? Like we call it piggy in the middle. I think you guys call it monkey in the middle. Just kind of trying to get the ball back and trying to keep the ball away from from someone and just learning skills throughout. Monkey in the middle, can't beat that's it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, last topic. Um, talk to uh, us a little bit about your philosophy on recruiting. Yeah. Um, look, we. my first, I think, first and foremost is I'm looking for obviously great athletes, but great people. Uh, you know, I'm centering our program around people who I think can come in and buy into our values and can uh, contribute to those values and not uh, – not have a negative effect on them. So I've got to feel good about you as a, as a person, as a family, uh, your attitude and your work ethic. I think that stuff can really show on the field. You can really get a sense for someone and who they are just by watching, watching them on the field, how they react to mistakes, how they interact with their teammates and their coaches, uh, what they do, you know, when the game ends, do they go straight off on their own or do they hang out with their team? You know, things like that. So that's things that I look for uh, because, you know, no matter how talented you are, you've got to fit in. You got to fit into my, you know, to who I am, and what I'm going to ask of you, and you got to fit into the team, because um, culture will always be first for me. Um, you know, outside of that, we're looking for athletes. You know, I, I think, obviously, as we get better and better uh, as a, as a lacrosse program, I think we're attracting natural lacrosse players. But we we really love athleticism. You know, big, strong, uh, you know, tall attackers, um, just just with some size. You know, I think we play a pretty physical style of lacrosse. Uh, so we want people who aren't going to get knocked around. You know, the Big Ten is, is you're playing against monsters. So there's tough physical defenders. So we need tough physical attackers and obviously vice versa. Uh, we need strength and athleticism across the board and, and toughness. Uh, first and foremost, um, you know, game sense, obviously, we hope is there and, and stick skills. But I think, again, we can teach that. I think when we look at players, um, we would much rather take the athletic, you know, athletic really hard worker, not afraid to get hit, going hard for every ground ball, uh, you know, going hard every game rather than the kind of finesse, um, finesse player. Um, you know, I think that sometimes you, you might need that finesse player, but for us, for the most part, we're, we're um, you know, looking for, you know, big, big, strong players that um, can play both ends. Or if we're looking for an attacker, it's, you know, shiftiness, stick work, uh, knowing when to move the ball versus knowing when to dodge. Um, and sort of, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to how hard you, how hard you work, your attitude, uh, yeah. and, you know, being passionate about Michigan. You know, I want people to be, come to Michigan because they want to come to Michigan. And they're passionate about what we have to offer and passionate about coming and starting something. It seems like this class, you know, I haven't actually recruited a class in a while, but I've sort of just been watching men's and women's lacrosse. And I, I, I was a part of recruiting when, you, you know, you signed kids in, 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 the, in the fall. Yeah. Moved up and up and up and up and up and all of a sudden you're committing freshmen, and then all of a sudden then the class of 2020, you know, was the last class that was recruited as eighth mm -hmm. graders or freshmen. Here at the class of 2021, I, I've made this statement a few times. I think this is the most under-evaluated class yeah. in history of college cross because really wasn't people really weren't paying close attention to this class until this summer, maybe last fall, but. Yeah. But, but um, the fall is almost a wash. I mean, it's like six days, right? So right. It's like, well, a lot of them get washed out on crappy fields. and <laughs> I mean, Literally, it was washed out last yeah. year. Um, and, then, and, then the, and then the summer, you know, there's so many kids and so many events. It's just, in, in, I mean, you know, it's not even reasonable to think that you're going to be able to know the details about players without having watched them play a lot. And, and everyone just kind of watches a half a game here and a half a game there. And at the end, hopefully, you might have seen some teams more than others. But there's a lot of kids and a lot of events. And so uh, is it, do, you, do you believe that this process is going to take a lot longer than ever before as it relates to you know, the, the time frame? And the yeah, I think it will. I mean, I think there's probably, you know, the upper uh, – I won't even say a third. The, the upper sure. like, hundredth of kids right. you know, that are being really heavily recruited at the moment. Sure. Uh, and they'll find their homes early, I think. And then – I think programs will get to a point where like, all right, well, we focused so heavily on these girls for the whole summer. Uh, and now we're going to go back to the drawing board. 
And I hope it does, in all honesty. You know, I got to the end, you know, even I was in the summer feeling frantic. I was like, I've got to get last evaluations on kids. And it's like, well, hang on a sec. It's not, it's not the last time you're ever going to see them, but I think people do. It, you know, we've slowed down the, the process to a certain extent, but then it's September 1 and then it's go, go, go again. And how fast can we commit and how fast can we commit kids? Right. Uh, I can't say I love it. <laughs> Um, because I think oh, people, hard. you don't want to take someone you don't know that well. Yeah, exactly. And when you, when you talk about recruiting great people, how much can you really know about somebody, um, you know, from one visit or a couple of phone calls. So yeah. it's, um, it's certainly tough. I think that absolutely that they're, they're probably underrated. I think people are probably making decisions, uh, before they're ready. Um, just because they're starting to feel antsy because the next program's committing people. Um, but I do, I hope it slows down. I hope that these, this fall coming up, turns into another big evaluation period for the 21s this year and, and people aren't skipping on the 22s uh, because that's what you know, I think it should be that way. I bet it will. Yeah. I mean, I bet you next summer there's going to be more people looking at 21s than they yeah. at 20s this year. I mean, yeah. partly because they looked at 20s for three years. I mean, it's not like you haven't seen it. Yeah, exactly. So that's really interesting. Um, uh, I got a question for you. Um, do you recruit close defenders or do you recruit middies and make them into defenders or a little bit of both? Or um, it depends. If we're trying to get a, you know, close defender, they have to be pretty good. Uh, you know, otherwise we'll just take a midfielder. So I think, I think it's harder when you go and watch, there's, you don't see very many of them in, in the women's game. I think you see some and, and there's a few out there that maybe know what they're doing and that are, who actually are communicating and have vision and have good off ball body positioning and, are able to direct and, you know, have the qualities that you're looking for. But I think they're far and few between. Um, if we if we see them, uh, absolutely we'll go after them. But uh, I think outside of that, we feel pretty confident in let's get a, a strong, you know, two-way midi um, that maybe isn't as refined offensively and we can focus on them as a, as a defensive midi. Yeah, and no, there's no question, you know, you're going to feel confident that you're going to be able to develop that player. There is, there is though, the mentality you know, <laughs> of yeah. playing defense. And, um, and some kids are like, well, I mean, I'd rather be scoring goals. And, right. And, um, you know, because they kind of grow up being able to do that. But I, I also think it's so hard, you know, like I listened to Colleen do a uh, – Colleen McGarity talk about, you know, how important it is to play pressure defense if you're running a club program so that people can actually see your defenders. Yeah, and see how you play. Yeah, exactly. You've got some athleticism. And if yeah. You be disruptive. Rather than you look at these totally packed in, pick up at the eight, don't go behind the net, you know. Yep. Maybe it's maybe you can play good defense that way, but it's certainly not a great way to showcase your No, athletes. exactly. Tough to, tough to see what they're like. And totally agree with you on the mentality thing is, you know, we just had some positional meetings with each group, just kind of expressing our expectations, you know, for that position and, and what we, what it means to, you know, the positional coaches to be, you know, working with them and what they expect. And uh, I just kind of said it to, I had the midi meeting yesterday. And I was like, you got to embrace the defense as much as you embrace the offense. You can't be one or the other. And then same as, you know, the, the defensive meeting, it was, you know, get, get angry, get, get fired up about being a defender, about being able to stop people. And it is, it's such a mentality, such a, a mindset uh, to want to be a, a good defender. Do you guys play D middies or do you guys play two in middies or both? Um, we'll, we have a, a mixture of both, you know, most of our middies are two way. And then um, on a line, we, we typically have two, two ways and then a, an A midi D midi as a third. Two two ways and a third special. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but do you um is is it are there teams that are that are subbing more than that and trying to sub out two players or even? There are. Yeah. Is it yeah. is it like are you liable to give up transition or, or is it possible to kind of not give up transition and be able to uh, uh, sub, sub your players? You got to be pretty good at it. Um, against certain transition teams, it wouldn't serve you well to run too off. Uh, you know, we were doing it at the end of the year and partly because we had some people that weren't good enough on offense and we, we ended up running two D mids and, and two A mids um, and, and one two way on each line. And, and it worked out because the teams we were playing were, were doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it comes a little risky when you're playing a high powered offense or a high powered transition team and you're trying to do that. Um, but yeah, we'll ideally we've got two, two ways on, on each line. Yeah. Got it. 
Awesome. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to um, jump on this podcast and share with us uh, the State of the Union, your, your history with the game, and share your passion for it. Yeah, thanks. Anytime. Appreciate it. Love talking lacks. Awesome. I'll be in touch. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> thanks, Hannah. Take care. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy.